everyone. Welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas pass to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Blythe, Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca. And I'm Zara Wong, Head of Content. In today's episode, we're looking into the crystal ball of beauty to talk the future of skincare with industry icon Dr. Dennis Gross and trends in online shopping with Google's Global Consumer Marketing Director for Shopping, Stephanie Horton. Hi, Zara. Hi, Kate. How are you? Good. So happy to be back for this podcast. And it's something that we're both really, really looking forward to. We're talking about the future of beauty. I love looking into the future. I wish I had a nice crystal ball of what was coming, don't you think? (laughs) And as you know, we love talking about trends and what's coming up. We've got Dr. Des Gross talking about techie kind of stuff. And we both are really obsessed with the Spectralite. Yes, I, I love the Spectralite. And I can't wait to see what sort of devices are coming down the pipe in terms of what's going to transform our at-home skincare regimes as well. I think that's one of the things that I've really loved about the Spectralite is how, you know, you get that sort of in-spa or sort of medical grade, um, what is the word? Device, Device technology. technology, but you can just use it at home. And I think that has sort of really changed the game. Have so, you tried anything else? Any other devices? I have a new face. Tools? Oh, do you like the, I like, I love the new face. I can't use it now because you can't use it when you're pregnant. So I um, haven't, I've, it's in a box. So I do oh, need to get okay. it out of the box because I've kind of like, you need to sort of give it a moment to get into your routine. I think that's the other thing. Yeah, this... Everything from the Spectralite to any skincare, it's like exercise or diet, it's consistency. So the yeah. new face is when I was using every day for like a month, at the time I was like, I don't know if this is doing anything. And then I look at the pictures of when I was using it and I was like, okay, I'm convinced. But it's a consistency. You have to do it every day. And I think I'm like definitely one of those people who's like, oh, Zara's got a one of those <laughs> devices. I'm going to try that. But I think you've got to sort of stick to your own plan as well yeah. that works and that's what like every skin is different and just, when you tell your friends who work at mecca they're like what's the best selling moisturizer what's the best selling yeah. whatever but it's what works for you and the vitamin c that works for you might be not the vitamin c that works for me we all have to do what is right for us it's like a bespoke skincare so during lockdown how did your beauty shopping habits change my beauty shopping habits or just my shopping habits what do we want to go into both but right beauty, beauty um, I was going to say, the reason I asked that is because um, I think I've always been a digital shopper. I love mm. shopping digitally. Obviously, with beauty, you want to go in and ask the questions and get the right product. So that makes it a little bit more complex. But I, I think we launched um, Ask Mecca in the podcast, which I used. And so you'd, you'd have the store host being able to walk you through and show you in store all the amazing products in there. And that was incredible, actually, because that really helped my digital shopping. But um, ultimately, what I was doing, I was kind of like investing. I think that was that's how I treated my like pandemic shopping habits. So I wasn't so I wasn't just buying, you know, fashion, 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 beauty, beauty, beauty. I was like, okay, spectralite. Let's invest in that and do my at-home sparker. Let's actually invest in um a new lamp. Let's invest, invest in a um, you know, some whatever it was. I mean, I bought some strange yeah. things but they're like forever things we're thinking of the long term yeah we could so, do a drinking game of how many times we mentioned spectralite okay should we do that because we, we've mentioned spectralite <laughs> a lot in this episode i'm sure but no i definitely um i was doing more investment purchases and i wonder whether everybody else is the same and because we've also coming got coming up is stephanie horton who worked at 
Shop Bob, Farfetch, Alexander Wang. We both know her really well. And she's actually now at Google as the global consumer marketing director for shopping. So I'm really excited to see what she has to say about shopping trends, how people approach online shopping differently now to before. Yeah, and she has that really amazing global view as well because obviously she's worked in London, she's now working in New York, she's worked for some of the biggest um, power players and then and at Google of course she's she is monitoring the shopping habits of the global consumer and I think it's fascinating because I think so much has changed and with that real turning into you know a lot of us have become digitally native we really feel comfortable um, shopping online doing sort of learning online having our meetings online and and as we go back into a retail environment where we can go into stores and we can meet with our colleagues and we can be in real life IRL I don't think it's going to shift fully back. And I think that's a really positive that's come out of it. It means that we've become truly omni-channel in the way we consume and the way we shop and the way we engage, which um, for, for me as somebody who's passionate about the digital sphere um is really exciting mm. and actually there's some cool things that we're going to be doing in the mechaverse <laughs> over the rest of the year so um some of those we'll be talking about well, soon. what's amazing is that you've got an amazing experience obviously working with other retailers like netaporte and matches fashion and mecca obviously we've got amazing stores over 100 across australia and new zealand but our website as well so in your view how do you feel like online shopping trends have changed how do you think people are approaching e-com differently now so i think we shouldn't think of it as um kind of church and state where you've got your bricks and mortar and you've got your digital and you shop on one or the other you should think of your entire kind of ecosystem as your world of mecca so however you would like to engage with the with mecca whether that's by phone face to face in a store online via email via social media um on the app on via Ask Mecca, we I think what we're really trying to do is build this like Mechaverse, where really it's this truly omnichannel um, experience. So you can have this incredible customer experience no matter how you want to engage with us and how you want to shop. And actually, Zara, you guys have been working on this most incredible campaign, um, which is Future Beautiful, which is obviously what we've been talking about, the future beauty and all of the incredible things that are happening in that space. But tell us a bit about this campaign, because actually it's super interesting um, what you guys have done to bring it to life in a virtual world so this campaign is as you said all about the future beauty which is such a fun topic but we were like how can we do it in a different way you know what is like truly futuristic so we partnered with digital artist Michaela Stafford and she created this amazing CGI 3D work that is really technical and really difficult to do worked really closely with the design team to create beautiful windows and AR filters and ambient animations so you can see it in our stores on Instagram on our website so we're really creating a whole as you said like an omni-channel world and it's not about having the church at state it all is of one and as part of that we're really talking about microbiomes the skin barrier deep skincare devices so having to talk about Dr. Dennis Gross coming up is actually perfect right let's get on to talking to Dr. Dennis Gross Thank you so much for joining us today dr dennis gross all the way from new york how are you oh i'm great yeah i'm in new york and uh you know it's brutal winter but that's what we're used to that here <laughs> well what time is it here it is five to nine in the morning and the, one of the first things i do every day is use the spectralite mask and oh that's great and i'm like addicted and the kids now that when i first started using it they'd be like what's on your face and now they're like 
oh, mommy's just doing her beauty regime. The Darth Vader mask. The Darth Vader, no, more like Iron Man, <laughs> I get. But I think I look gorgeous in it at night, um, seven in the morning. But yes, that cool. is part part of my routine as it is with so many of our customers and um, Mecca Mecca customers in, in this side of the world so I also use the um, the exfoliation pads oh, as well the alpha beta peels. alpha beta yes. peels. I love them and yes, as does my son so we are a Dr. Dennis Gross family yeah these are these are really popular products actually I know because all kidding aside they do deliver results and you know, we'll get to that with one of the questions I saw. Um, but that is that is what we are all about. You know, you got to have immediate results, and then it just makes sure they get better and better. And that's why you know we've had this incredible experience with Mecca. But um, I'm glad you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm a fan. So, cult favorite. What were the products you launched with, and how has how have things changed? What are the skincare? changes from you know 20 23 years ago what what were people yeah. buying then well the bottom line is is that we were um 23 years ago we launched the alpha beta peel that was our very first product the, the two-step system on pads um and that was the beginning of our company and that was the launch with mecca and the rest is history um but but the question you're asking is the critical one which is what was happening at the time and at the time, it was all about making the skin red, making the skin irritated, making it really peel, giving it a downtime for causing it to have to, to require a recovery, um, as particularly with peels. And, you know, I just, I, I got, you know, detailed people coming into my office saying, try this, do this on your, on your clients. And, and the, the idea was to use a 40% glycolic acid pill, the next week come in and do a 50% and 60 and 70. And they said, this will be great for them. They're gonna see beautiful results. And the, long, the, the, short, um, the short answer here really is that they neither got results and they sure were not happy, nor was I with the redness and the inflammation and irritation. And it, it was, um, it really just, um, I, was, I was a researcher um, uh, at the time too. And, um, I was actually a skin cancer researcher to start my career, and I learned a lot about biology. And the last thing I, and then it's, and I saw patients clinically, the last thing I wanted was for people to get inflamed and irritated. It made no sense. There's no organ in the body that you injure mm. to make it come back better and stronger. Let's hurt the lungs so that person can have yeah. better breathing. It's you quite know, aggressive kid, that way. It's nutty. So, so I went out and proved that you don't need to have that downtime and that you can get great results. And the industry didn't believe it. You know, they said, how are you going to do that? <clears throat> and literally, it was, um, it was by demonstration. And then we launched the company and everybody just, it, was, it took off. Because no more downtime, no more recovery needed. And the results are impeccable, which is why the alpha beta peel to this day has has continued to grow worldwide. It's the number one um, at home peel in the world, um, and it was all about the innovation, which I had to prove. Um, but that was it. The in, the industry at the time, twenty three years ago, they did not believe that gentle would work. Have you changed the formulation over those years, or is it exactly the same as it was 23 years ago? The majority of the, of the formula hasn't been changed. It is still the, the vintage 
and the, and, uh, the science so from way back when. It's one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's been some minor stuff that I, I had to do, I was compelled to do. Um, but the crux of it, the majority of it is the same. It is an awesome product. And as I said, mm-hmm. I, I use it. I think it's amazing. And I also have my teenage son using it. And it was a game changer for him. Um, so it really deals with that kind of tricky skin at that age, as well as, you know, my um, slightly over 20 skin, 20 year old you know? skin. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's one of those incredible things where if you just list all the things the Alpha Beta Peel does, it almost sounds like, you know, I'm a snake oil salesman, you know, that I'm, that I'm really just like impossible that one product does all those things. But the truth is it does. It's an incredible anti-aging product. You know, it does help firm the skin and work some fine lines and wrinkles. And it does have, ha- help with, as in your, as in your teenage son, with complexion problems, anything, and mild and severe ones at the same time. Um, but then in terms of radiance and hydration and uneven skin tone, discoloration, it works on all those things, which is why peels have really been the number one in uh, treatment in doctor's offices and dermatologist's offices for all these years and continues to be so is because peels do have, have an incredible wide variety of benefits on the skin. Um, and that's why the alpha beta pill has been used for many different problems uh, for all different, it works on all skin types and it, it definitely works with um, a vast array of issues that people are, are trying to fix on their skin. If you were to, if you had um, one of, a, you know, somebody who's never bought Dr. Dennis Gross before, but you were to say, right, these, if you want a, a really um, effective skincare regime with these products, yeah. what steps would they be? Because obviously you have a ma- an amazing um, range. And if you yeah. were to say, these are the five steps for, you know, quite straightforward skin that was really going to make an impact, what would they be? Would it be the peel? Would it be the spectralite? What, what else would we need in there to kind of have that amazing... Okay. Effect. Those two, first of all, okay, and understand just the way that the that my company um, and and my products are really designed is by taking the number one ingredient that really has scientific proof uh, that they work, and creating um, a, a regimen where you want to basically use in addition to what you just said, um, the alpha beta peel and then and the spectralite or the the facewear pro with LED light. Retinol, mm-hmm. vitamin C, vitamin C, also super important, mm-hmm. um, and hyaluronic acid. You know, um, those are the heroes. Now, what's interesting is that, um, for example, we just uh, I just uh, created a, a brand new upgrade in the in the retinol uh, products. There's constant change. So, you know, the retinol product today is different from the one five years ago because there's new science and we're constantly doing research and we had a real breakthrough with retinol, for example. So it's not just saying that it's those ingredients. I think what we do is we make them work better mm-hmm. and we actually have found te- that it's now, it's, it's other ingredients you combine with, the synergy, the, the additional ingredients that, that makes ingredients like retinol work so well and even better non-irritating that's a huge thing that came from the new research um so these these products still use these these great pillar ingredients the big five but they're um they're constantly being upgraded and 
all those ingredients combine with innovation and combine with the next, the next frontier, next level of science. And not just theoretical science, science that has been put to the test um, in a laboratory and then on, on test groups and actually measuring you know, collagen levels and measuring hydration levels with machinery and all this stuff that you know, ends up proving to us that yes, this is a winner product that's going to really make people very, very happy. I think retinol, Zara, you'll know this better than me, is is our most searched for term and our most popular piece of content that we ever put, put out there. People want, they love it. They love to understand what it does and why it does it. As you are the expert, can you give us a really sort of, um, you know, a bit of an overview of why it's so key? We know hyaluronic acid, it's a sort of drink for your skin, but you know, retinol, what is it about, about retinol that makes it so important? Retinol is, it, it, first of all, it comes from vitamin A. It comes from a natural ingredient that's out there. And it has an effect on the skin and, and understand that it works on the different skin layers to do different things which is very unique to retinol. That's sort of why um, people see these fantastic results using it. But retinol also works on pores and it works on uneven skin discolorations. And so it has this great versatility, is the word, to make the skin look so great and it's naturally derived. The problem, number one, there was a problem with it, which is that it irritated very many people, a high percentage of people. And in fact, the prescription strength uh, retinol, that's also also known as retinoid, those products, the prescription strengths, are notorious for causing dryness and redness. And by the way, for your audience, the mecca mecca, um, consumer, your clients, that skin type, where the skin is sensitive, there's a lot of redness, a lot of outdoor exposure, um, that, that skin type has been treacherous on, on when subjected to, to retinol. So the key thing was to make retinol gentle, and we had to figure out why it was irritating. That was the big breakthrough of the year, must, I must say, last year. We found out why. And also, retinol... Um, as good as it is, the next step was to make it work even better. And that's where combining it with the other ingredients, such as bakuchiol and rambutan and, and ferulic, all those ingredients actually um, combined with retinol have made that product even better. So it's been a journey with retinol, um, but it is brand new and the the data has been incredible and the science is, is is very very fresh and new um at the same and at the same time people see results immediately so it has been i'm sure you know you're seeing that that it's been very very popular mm. um, with the with with the consumer because it's it's not going to make the skin red and it's going to give you incredible results in in all those different areas that retinol does and now we can make it work even better Listening to you describe these products and the breakthroughs in retinol just, I mean, obviously reminds me, as we all know, you're a dermatologist and a skin cancer researcher and a cosmetics chemist. So you really bring so much knowledge and experience and almost creating 
Clinic level skincare products for home, is that correct? Yeah, that is. And that is, that is exactly the difference, I think. And that's where I, I have had an incredibly charmed career path. You know, when I was doing cancer research in the skin and, and melanoma, and um, I never would have dreamt that that one day I was going to create products from the principles of, of, of skin that I learned in the test tube um, yeah, can you back t- then. Yeah, what was that like? I mean, you've got the science background, obviously the medical background, but bringing it almost like an ounce of creativity to creating these products. Well, you know what it was? Um, my job as a researcher, um, you know, when you start out and you know, I was quite young and you, you, uh, you get assigned. You know, I, my, my interest was in skin, in dermatology and melanoma in particular. Um, but um, I, got, I got placed and I got really good at growing skin cells in tissue culture. That was my job. Mm-hmm. And very useful. I, I start, <laughs> it was. And it was like, you know, I had um, quite a bit of, react, of response to my cells that were growing. And I learned, um, you know, what the, the temperature requirements and, and the pH requirements, nutritional requirements, um, the oxygen levels and, and, and how, how much CO2 to leave there and, and all these things, and then I used to look at them under the microscope, and I learned that there's a certain look to cells under the microscope when, and I used to call them, oh, these guys, these <laughs> cells are happy. Happy cells. You know, I had happy, I happy cells. <laughs> these things are now applied to my world as a creator of products because I'm also, um, and I'll give you another example to tie two things together. I'll give you an example. Hard water you know, is really another big issue. No one talks about it. I did, I, I'm, you know, I just, I actually sampled water from around the world and did the testing and was floored when I saw the differences in, in the hardness of water around the world. And, and when you get that, then again, London's London is the worst. <laughs> that's the, that's it is. It, 100%. And by the way, that's sort of why they have a problem with rosacea, a problem with, with uh, large pores, problem with breakouts, and a problem with dryness. And it infects the scalp as well. So, but, but, but Australia has pockets of hard water too, you know? It's a giant island continent. And so it's, it's sitting on a bed of rock. Um, and calcium is the number one reason that, people, uh, that water is hard. So my point is, is that when I, when I saw that was a, another issue, I never really um, created a product for it, but I put in ingredients in every single product that without a, no fanfare, no discussion, no advertising, but knowing that certain people around the world um, will be exposed to hard water, I put ingredients in there, they're called chelators, that counteracts and actually are water softeners built into the, the product that's really there for those who need, the, need them when they do. And if you don't need them, no harm in having them there to, uh, for, uh, anyway. So the science, back to, this, to the, my research experience and answer to the question, how it informed me and what it does for me um, to formulate products is it really just gives me lots of layers of science um, that, I, that I put into formulas um, that I've learned so much just from my research years. And you know, I have my own labs and I have staff and I have um, lots of projects going on and it's, you know, I run my own little research center. I love that. And we're so lucky that we, we have you helping us with our skin. 
all yeah. over the world. We can't get to yeah. New York, but you can get the products at Mecca. Exactly. And the one thing I I am uh, am fascinated by is the Spectralite. There's this um, uh, one lovely girl in the office, and she has incredible skin. And I sort of said to somebody, wow, she's got really great skin. And they said, oh, that's because she uses the Dr. Dennis Gross Spectralite mask every day, but about three times a day. And I was like, what? Hold wow. on a minute. And then, so yeah. my question for you is, it, and this is something we've debated, if you've got one of those masks and you're meant to use it, what, for three minutes a day, um, if you use it more than that, does it have a better impact or not? And that's the uh, debate we keep having. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk science. I'm, yeah, okay. I'm interesting. I use it for 15 minutes a day. Oh, you do? Yeah. So you no, keep pressing you, it you on. Don't need to. No, you don't, you need, don't to. need to. You don't need to. No, you don't need to. That's, which is why the, um, directions are very important. And that's when I say just, just use them. Use use all these products as directed. Don't it's we really annoy simple. you when, when people don't read directions? Doesn't it bother you? No, no, it doesn't. Class, it's like I'm a teacher in the classroom with some with unruly unruly students. Unruly Zara. Um, yes, ma'am. Um, but here's the deal. The bottom line is that. Another key thing to know about, and we're getting into some serious science, but I think Mecca wants it and they love it and let's go there. There are things in the skin that's called, that are called receptors, right? And receptors are like the gateway to allowing or not allowing certain ingredients in through the doorway. These receptors are like doorways that, are, that either op- are open to certain ingredients or are closed to others. And by the way, we do a lot of receptor research and that's how we come up with those ideal concentrations and that's how um, we know an ingredient is really a new player, not only because it's, it's, been, it's worked on the person's skin, but then we learn, we actually work on receptors for that ingredient. Long story short, LED has receptors too. Every single ingredient that works, like retinol, vitamin C, niacinamide, acid, alpha and beta hydroxy acids, they all go into the skin through their own doorway, their own receptor. In the case of LED, after three minutes, the doorway closes. It shuts off. It stops. Because the skin is a genius. It's masterful. Think about how you've heard the expression, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Yeah. It's exactly, it's still the case. The skin is an external organ. It has to be very, very savvy and saying, we, I want this now, but then at some point, it, knowing what's good for it says enough, right? After three minutes with the LED mask on, right, the face were pro, the, the, the receptors are saturated, the doors close, it's had its daily fill. And after another 12 hours, 24 hours, it usually, and it's basically a 24-hour story, right? We tell people just try to use it every day around the same time. And 24 hours later, the doorways open up again. The receptors are there. But to sit there and use it for 15 minutes, above and beyond that first three minutes, it's not, it's not getting into where it needs to go. It's not going to do any harm. It's, a, it's harmless, you know, but it's not effective because it's not being received. It's not being allowed in. So that's, and that was um, how we des- decided that 
this was the final way, the final prototype that we were going to go into production with because we were seeing that the energy needed was, was attained and taken in by the skin after three minutes. And that, if, if something isn't easy to use, I know as a dermatologist, people won't use it. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and if you don't use it, you're never going to see results. So the key thing is not only to make, to, to, give, some, to give results, but to make it easy to use. It's just the way it is. It's, that's just human nature. Same thing with sunscreen. My, you know, I've learned as a dermatologist, you, people have to love their sunscreen. If it's sticky and messy and makes the skin look white and you just can't wash it off or it, it just, it's just unpleasant, Mm. People will find a reason not to use it, which is the secret to our success with, with, with those, those kinds of products. So, you know, all these things, that's where, and that's where being a dermatologist has taught me a lot. Um, you know, I know, I know what we need to do to make it something yeah. that's fun to use or easy to use. So that, but that's the answer why three minutes only is necessary because nice. we design it that way. So Zara, you need to listen and the rest of it's just like meditation time. <laughs> exactly. Um, you still wear it, just don't have it on. But you've got like a big sort of um, celebrity following of the Spectralite too. You've got um, Paris Hilton, Chris Jenner, Jimmy Fallon, mm. um, Salma Hayek. You have some am- me and you. We're both big fans. So you have got like a very global fan base, including Zara yes. and I. So. <laughs> How does that make you feel when you see people using it all over the sort of socials and everything? It and you, blows your mind, it was, I'm sure. It blows my mind. We were, we were watching a movie with Meryl Streep. I forgot the name of the movie, her last movie. And there she is in the scene. It's a comedy in this scene, putting on Spectralite in, this, in the movie. Um, <laughs> You're like, that's me. <laughs> it was, it was, it was Meryl surreal. Yeah, it was surreal. So anyway, well, how do I feel? Oh, I feel good. I think it's um, it's a real, um, it's a it's a real compliment when people can buy and afford anything that you know that that, that that's available. Um, and I also think that maybe they're a little more discriminating and they do a little more research. I don't know for sure, um, but. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, and then to see it on on television. Yeah, with um, Meryl Streep, it, it, that's that's yeah. a bit of a moment. As a young medical student, did you ever imagine you would be doing this and creating these products? Never, ever, that I think this was going to be. No way, no way. But it goes to show you, you know, um, you just follow your heart. You know, just, just, just. Just follow your passion. And that's really what I was doing. I was just amazed at the skin. I was amazed at the science. And um, I just couldn't get enough of it. And so how it ended up working out in my life um, as, a, as a useful educational process, never would have dreamt it, you know. But now, I must say, um, being successful and having other opportunities you know I'm still involved in skin cancer research um, but now as a company we fund it you know mm-hmm. amazing um, it's amazing you know we're funding researchers um, in the same institution at Sloan Kettering in New York City Memorial Sloan Kettering that I worked at um, so now I can give back you know um, and that's been that's been an incredible thing too 
And when we speak to you and you speak about your products and your research, particularly your research, I can really see your face light up. So you've mm. got all this research going on. You've got your formidable medical dermatological knowledge. What do you think will be the future of skincare and beauty or devices? Yeah, what's you know your what? lab working on? What are they, what are they cooking right. up down well, there? What can okay. you tell us? Okay, <laughs> what I can tell you is that... Um, Basically, we're working in three tiers, you know, the most immediate next next step, then the one a year or two out, and then the ones that are like, you know, the dream um, that's that might be a couple years, more than that, five years. Who knows? Science is something it takes time to cultivate. But um, what do I think is going to happen long term? First of all, there's no question that some of the tried and true products today are going to live on. Because skin doesn't change, and our needs, our problems, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the number of things that people are looking to improve, that's not going to change either. So, you know, that's just, that that's just something that's just true of, of being human, is that our skin's the same, our bodies won't change, and, and the problems won't change because we still live on the same planet, Earth. Um, and so... I think that the alpha beta peel is going to be around a long time. I'm very sure of it. And I think that all these products, the retinol products and the vitamin, the, um, the LED, those, these things are going to be staples forever, you know, just like, you know, certain like black shoes, you know, they're never going to go out of style. You're always, you're always going to need something like that, you know. Um, but right coming up, quite honestly, um, as I mentioned, the innovation with um, LED, the innovation with um, um, the retinol. You know, I think vitamin C is the next frontier for us. Um, and just as I said with retinol, there were certain issues with it. Well, vitamin C is brilliant. I mean, it's, I mean vitamin C is another vitamin, right? Retinol derived from vitamin C. Um, you know, and I love products that come from nature. And my whole thing is, I am all about um, taking taking nature and making and using mm-hmm. some science to make it work even better. Right? Yeah. Um, doing that again with vitamin C. You know, and further out than that, you know, the world of devices and mm-hmm. at, at home machines yeah. um, is basically recreating the clinical setting that where machines and lasers and LED devices were born. Um, there's going to be a place where uh, it's going to be an at-home in the consumer's home, uh, in a place that's much more advanced technologically than it is now. Do you think Just that think- sort of change and, and speeded up during the pandemic as well with everybody at home, that they, they, more people were like happy to try sort of at-home devices in that way? Because I think otherwise you'd be a bit nervous where to start. I think that's right. You know, it was the pandemic um, as a dermatologist and as a scientist, and, and just um, watching the, 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 the change in behavior in people and, and how, how challenging it was to go through that, um, it, was, it was one of those things that made people really feel better when, when you can make their skin look better. So actually, during the, during the, the, the pandemic, during a lockdown, our business was better than ever. You know, it was it was just really, and I was involved in digital technology and doing master classes and 
having um, educational seminars and seeing people on, and I would look at people, they would, they would dial in, I would look at their skin um, one-on-one on the phone, and we still do that as a company here in the United States, consult, but it was, a, it was a great time for us to just help people look better, continue to have that connection with them, even though we couldn't see them in person. And so no question to what you're saying is true. The devices really took off because they wanted anything that, that, that was similar to what they could no longer experience, which mm-hmm. was a visit to the spa or to, yeah. the, to, the, to the medi clinics, to the doctor's offices. All professional treatments were gone. At the yeah. same time, they really wanted to look as good as possible. So that's when the, that's exactly what happened with, with the Yeah, because you're spending so much time looking at yourself on Zoom calls. You need, you need to d- definitely tweak here and there. I think it's fascinating. And I think the, you know, the fact that people are more willing and more confident about doing that at home is so important. But also as you said making it easy and making it easy to sort of run, understand how to use it it's not going to take too much time it's not going to take 15 minutes or take three minutes right. Sarah. but to really you know get into this groove of having this sort of um regime beauty regime at home i think is um puts the power back into the consumer's hands which uh, is incredible as does education as yeah. does an understanding of why the skin looks that way because the other thing about the pandemic if you think about it we were so helpless, mm. you know, and 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 what clearly came and I learned this in my, in my practice years ago that I, you people want to know they want to understand why this is going on with their skin and then you can explain well and that's why so this is this is the remedy this is how these, this product works that's what's different about this and you're partnering with them and making them part of the process you know. We can't um, wait so, for you to come here and to meet the customers, to meet the Mecca sort of community and, and, yeah. and, you know, spend some time with them explaining how to use your products, why the science behind it, because it is so fascinating. And when you, mm-hmm. when you understand it, you're like, okay, right, now I, under- now I know why I need these steps in my beauty skincare regime. And I think that is, um, you know, incredibly compelling. And, but hearing you talk about it and having that knowledge and that understanding is, it, you know, we just want to drink it up like hyaluronic acid yes exactly it's so fun because you can really get great results and participate and just just learning what to do and why why they work it's been like i said a a very charmed journey and i do love teaching you know i love the research and i love the creation and but it's so much fun to have people um understand more it's just a delight and you were saying that you're still seeing patients and people calling in and you're having those consultations even online. Have you seen people's skin concerns change or evolve in the last few years with the pandemic or are people still after the same thing? Yeah, well, and I suppose stress. Does stress have a big impact? Like, you know, because I think people have been under huge stress yeah, no and still so are. Stress is a huge thing. Stress is one of the... Can I tell you? I think that... Um, Second to sun exposure, stress is probably the biggest cause of, of, skin, of skin issues. Um, it's, it, is, it is toxic. You know, it causes increased adrenaline levels in the body. And what happens, very interesting, is that when you're under stress, the actual circulation the, the, uh, to, the, to the skin is reduced. You actually have less blood and, and, and oxygen flowing to the skin 
under times of stress. And what does that mean? Think about it. This, the, the very lifeline to a, to a human tissue, human organ, is being diminished with stress. So it's, it, it wreaks havoc on the skin. Um, the pandemic, um, it's, it was wellness. That's what happened with the pandemic. That it wasn't just looking great. It wasn't just about, um, you know, just how you appear. There's, there's, and there's a desire to, to be well, you know, and to see your skin looking healthy. And for you personally, obviously you're using all your products, but what are you doing in terms of wellness or the stress at bay? In May, my life? Um, well, I'm not going to say I do a good job, but, <laughs> um, um, well, you know, look, I think that, um, I really do believe in aerobic exercise personally. I do that. Um, I also, um, I try, and if I see myself getting a little bit too stressed out, lots of times what I've learned in my life is stress makes you unaware that you're stressed. You know, yeah. it, just make, it, just, it just creates like this loss of awareness. Tunnel um, vision. Tunnel vision, you know, so... I've learned to see myself a little bit more um, insightfully and then not let it escalate uh, if I have the option. Um, and then I just, I just do the things I love with the people I love. That's how I live my life. And um, I find a lot of pleasure in, in friends and family. And it's been really working out. By the way, you know, our kids are older now. And when we had... Um, you know, four young children and, and four, <laughs> four under six. Um, that was there's no way I could I could say that I was I was so zen <laughs> zen then you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, now I have that. I have a different different ability to have. Some I have math, four math. children as well, yeah. and I can't remember years of my life. It was such a blur of right. well, three of them were you know there was three under four. Um, and then there was a six-year gap between third and the fourth. But those, when it was the three of them, it was just insanity. Yeah. So yeah, I think high stress, not enough sleep. You That's know, a big one. Who, That's true. Yeah. Exactly. Sleep is sleep is is really is very very important. Sleep is very yeah. very important. And you know, just things like no coffee after four p.m., no caffeine. You know, do you stick 4. to these rules? Yes, I do. Um, that's a, that's a big one for me. I never. I used to just think, oh, it's, it's only four o'clock. I can have a cup of coffee, get more out of more productivity out of me today. <laughs> You're a doctor. <laughs> yeah, and I was just not. That was that was crazy. And as you know, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary of Mecca this year. So one of our questions was thinking back as a to your young medical student days. What advice would you give to your 25 year old self? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Um, what were you like? What advice did you need? Yeah, you know, at that point, I was, I was doing a good job following my heart and following my passion. <clears throat> um, but I just didn't know really, like, exactly how I wasn't sure. That I, for example, while I was doing research, <clears throat> as much as I loved it, I didn't like being in a laboratory all the time. I liked, I learned that I like to work with people. So I knew that research was gonna be a part of my life, but I just didn't know what to do with the fact that I didn't want to spend my life inside a laboratory 
cut off from, from interacting with, with people. And so if I had to go back in time and tell my 25-year-old self about that, um, I think the biggest lesson would be to just listen to your heart, you know? And it is, it was great. I love research, but uh, something wasn't quite right about it. Okay, so what is it exactly? You know, what, what is missing? What do you need? And then have faith that it's going to be okay. That simple. It's going to, if I could just, if I could just, if I was told, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, that would have gone a long way for me, <laughs> you know. But um, that, and, and, and by the way, since I've learned about that, um, that little reminder that it's going to be okay um, has made a difference in my stress levels and calming me down and just, um, just not worrying about everything. You know, most of the things you worry about never come to be. You know, it's just so. Um, but that's what I would tell myself at 25. Just follow yeah. your heart and, uh, and just uh, it's going to be okay. Because by definition, that's the age where people have confusion. You yeah. know, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's the arc of life, you know. It's like, you know, you have your, your ambition and your, your interest and your passion and your drive. And at the same time, there's so much happening. You, you know, you know, you come to learn from, from what preceded that, which was confusion and stress and anxiety and not knowing. And so it's, uh, it was hard. That's Have any of your children followed you into medical, the medical mm-hmm. world? Not one. Not one. <laughs> not, not one. Um, they all have their passion. My daughter, my oldest daughter, is now absolutely found her passion, which is she loves, she's an educator. She wants to change the American educational system. And Amazing. she thinks that um, there's lots of things that are wrong with it. So she's actually getting her graduate oh. degree. She's, she's getting her a graduate degree in, um, in, in education at Stanford. And she is writing papers and doing research. And what she's very interested in is that you talk about stress. Well, there are people who are being in the educational system whose lives are stressful or, or worse than that. You know, there's, there's traumatic elements in, in lots, of, lots of people's lives. And how that impacts um, their ability to learn and how educators, for example, should see things differently is what is the crux of her work. So she just discovered this, you know, she's 25. So she's fine, but no one's going into med- no one's going to medicine now. No, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, you could have had them all in lab coats downstairs, formulating yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Not my kids. No, they, they, they they came to everything on their own, which is just so fun That's to what watch. You want. Yeah, and as long as they have like ambition and passion, and they're they're a reason for waking up in the morning and a list of things to do. That's great, and they do. Oh, I love that. Mm. Well, there's, there's hope for my three-year-old yet. Oh, <laughs> you, yeah. might have a, you might have an intern at some point. You never know. <laughs> right. You know what my advice to you? 
it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I know. I'm in the thick of it. Oh, well, thank you so much thank for your you. time today. That was so exciting to hear everything. And I feel like now I know lots of stuff and I want to come and spend time in your labs and um, be educated and learn more because it is such an incredible topic and your knowledge is um, unsurpassed. So thank, thank you for sharing that with us today. I love sharing. So thank you. We are so excited today to have the wonderful Stephanie Horton here, who is an old mate of mine, um, and I've known you for a very long time, since the days of you working in London, Um, and now you are at Google. So we would love to um, hear a little bit about your journey all the way through that, Stephanie, and to tell us how you ended up in the world of tech and Google shopping. Sure. Yeah, no. So back in my days in London, I was a CMO at Farfetch where I knew, you know, everyone on this call very well um, and spent a lot of time there. Um, It was an amazing opportunity. Obviously traveled the world, was in um, Australia actually a lot. So really familiar with Mecca, saved my life a couple times while I was there and ran out of things. And, you know, decided to move back to the States um, at the end of 2017. Um, had been gone five years, um, obviously wanted to see my family a little more um, and ended up taking a job with Aunt Alexander Wang, which was great um, as chief strategy officer there. So I spent two years with Alex kind of helping to um, refocus the brand, um, you know, looking at some product changes, you know, doing some great collaborations um, with Bulgari and others. So, you know, spent a really good uh, two years there. And then um, actually got a call from Google about um, a job um, with Google Maps. And it was funny because I was like, hmm, Maps, I don't know. Um, You know, I think we went back and forth in that. I think I finally decided maybe not my forte. Um, Don't know if I can add immediate value here. What kind of thing did they want you to do? It was a marketing job. So it was a similar job to what I had here. But, you know, I think for me, um, you know, especially in my career, it's always been about where I can add value um, and where I think, you know, I can really come in and have impact and drive impact. And, you know, I think I definitely could have done that job. But, you know, I think I just had a lot of reservations about what am I actually going to offer here? (laughs) Um, You know, and I think, you know, it just kind of took a pass. Um, I got a call later about shopping, um, which was something that they were really looking at starting to ramp up. You know, obviously Google's a place where lots of us search for things, um, but maybe we don't know we're shopping for them. Uh, So that was a level of, um, you know, we should ramp this part up. You know, they had really done a lot of things on the product side, um, hired some key people and were then looking to really ramp it up on the marketing side. So, you know, started a conversation there, turned into like six conversations. um, And yeah, so I landed in the world of tech marketing and like totally breaking down barriers like women in tech and senior power jobs is quite you know huge achievement yeah no you know I think for me um it was a space that I was less comfortable in um and you know even though I'd worked in e-commerce you know I worked at Shopbop um you know I worked at Farfetch which is obviously uh, very much a tech company I don't think I've ever been in a job where the remit was work closely with product 
to really, um, you know, help drive and, you know, assess like go to market plans and that kind of thing. So, you know, that was a little bit hesitant because I'm like, there's going to be a learning curve here. And, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome of like, I don't know, am I really, can I really do this job? They want me. Um, But, you know, I think being in the job now and, you know, working with the team and there's so many brilliant people on the product side and, you know, so many great ideas um, and being able to put the team together on the marketing side has been an amazing, um, it's been an amazing challenge, but also um, I think it's been really fulfilling. I've got two questions. How do you, do you school yourself up on the tech side and how do you overcome the imposter syndrome that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, on the tech side, you know, luckily, like I said, we, you know, A, I have a really great team and I've hired some really cool people who have really helped me on the product side. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, especially for the first few months, I'd be in meetings literally pinging on the side, like what does what just happened? You know, what does this mean? Um, And, you know, it's really just taking the time to learn um, and break it down and understand the process and how it works. Um, There's really no way around that because you have to understand the product to market it. So I think, you know, for me, it was just that learning curve of taking the time and asking the questions and, you know, not being, um, you know, I think especially as women, sometimes we're like, okay, we just need to know this Um, and not being afraid to be like, I don't know this and I I really don't understand and someone needs to explain this to me um, so that that I did. Um, And I think with the imposter syndrome, once I got in the job and, you know, I think I understood that, wow, you know, I have an expertise here in retail and e-commerce knowledge that a lot of people don't have at Google. So, you know, there's actually a skill set that I can offer that that others couldn't. And so I think for me, that gave me the confidence um, to go forth. And even though there was probably a deficiency in the product knowledge, you know, on the actual subject matter, you know, I think, you know, I did have an expertise there. So I think that gave me the confidence to be able to push forward in some places where I probably would have been like, okay, you know, why am I here? (laughs) And now you've taken that sort of fashion, you know, career and all of that knowledge you have within that world and your tech sort of knowledge and your position there which is super super impressive and very inspiring to a whole new generation of of um, females who want to move into the, the fashion tech space and you've actually taken that to put together fashion tech connects which is an incredible initiative created to increase the number of women of color in fashion and tech positions can you tell us a little bit about that because I think that's just so impactful and to your point about working in businesses and in roles where you can bring impact was that like something that just you really felt very passionate about doing I really did and you know my co-founder Stacy Henderson and I we actually met in 2006 um, I was working at Vogue and she was working at Versace and I never forget we were in a meeting um, to go over the September issue of Vogue and you know what Versace was going to do And there must have been like 20 people combined from, you know, the Versace side and the Vogue side. And the only two people of color in the room were Stacey and I. So, you know, after the meeting, we kind of gravitated. I was like, you know, nice to meet you. Um, Just so it turns out she was going to be my point of contact because at that point I was heading up um, marketing at at Vogue and she was heading up marketing at Versace for U.S. Um, And we just became friends over the years. And our um, careers both progressed. I obviously, you know, went on to do other things at Shopbop, moving to London. She went on to become a CEO of a tech company, actually, um, and then now is heading up um, e-commerce and things at Todd's. 
And I got back from London in 2017 and was like, you know what? Um, you know, we've obviously had a lot of opportunities, but I feel like a lot of them were through access. You know, I, you know, I knew people, I had certain jobs and all of those people recommended me for other jobs. Like, I think every job I've had, someone's actually called me um, to recommend me for the position. And I'm like looking at, you know, I'm looking around and even as though I'm trying to hire people who look like me, there's just not many people here. Um, so how do we kind of pay it forward and give back. And we were like, you know, we should start a mentoring thing. I think we went through 50 versions of what this should be. And I think, you know, like many people, you always think you have to start really big. So we were like, we're going to need like 20 companies and we're going to need this and that. And finally, we were like, you know what, let's just do what we can. So Stacy was the tech person. I was the recruiting person. She built our site. You know, we, you know, got on the platform. She did the site, you know, did the visuals. I called up everyone at a all my jobs, so Farfetch, Alexander, like everyone, you know, she called up a few people. We got like five internships. We put it up on the site and we just started. And it was gangbusters. Like we we partnered with um, different schools all over the U.S. Um, and we ended up getting like 300 applications for five positions um, that first year. And, you know, since then, you know, I think we started off with, again, Farfetch, Stitch Fix through a friend, um, Alexander Wang, and then since then we've added Tory Burch, Gucci, um, you know, lots of great brands to the to the process and given people, you know, opportunities like the Stitch Fix job was a developer job. And, you know, uh, the job at Alexander Wang was e-commerce, Tory Burch was marketing. So giving these girls the um, opportunity to see that it's not just about being a stylist or a designer you know there's so many ways to work in fashion and in tech you know in different companies and this year we're having our first internship um in the metaverse so there is one that'll be um with a, a company that does nfts um as well as with actually a venture fund that's led by two women that concentrates on tech companies um in a marketing role so just really trying to open up access and you know you know also just you know what kinds of things can you do because there's so many different roles you can have but I think people just don't know what they can be doing in these fields yeah that's so true and I think so many people who want to work in the worlds of like fashion retail beauty lifestyle like a lot of what you've done in your career don't realize there's so many more jobs that have that tech intersect as well and we talk about it a lot actually because we are, we have this empower program which is really about gender equality and really about supporting women in all different areas and one of the things that we were looking at is this real lack of equality of women working in digital and this digital divide and um i mean for you that must be such an incredible sort of I use the word journey to have come from the world of print fashion magazines all the way through to now being at Google, kind of running that whole piece of the business, but also doing where you this kind of give back um, sort of philanthropic element. How is a um, as you now and as a senior exec and one of the biggest companies in the world, how will you sort of really build on that? And, and what is it about it that kind of really motivates you? I think for me, I mean, you know, I grew up, I was like, I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, you know, I had really supportive parents. And like I said, I, um, you know, I've had lots of support um, throughout my career. And I think one thing I realized is not everyone has the same opportunities and has the same support. So while, you know, I think I've been, you know, I've worked hard, obviously, but I think I've been really lucky to 
be given the opportunities that I have, not everyone has that same, um, you know, has that same support. So, you know, this, this kind of initiative, as well as the mentoring that goes along with it, like Stacy and I also mentor all of the girls. So I still have girls who've now graduated from college, who've gotten their first jobs, who are like, you know, I got this job, what do I do? Um, and just being able to help them navigate, like, you know, how to negotiate their salary, like, you know, making sure you're in the right environment for you and just, you know, giving them all the tips and tools that I didn't have that, you know, I kind of had to figure out, but, or got mentors along the way to help me is, is really gratifying. I think, you know, you know, in the future, I think we'd really like to be able to expand the mentoring aspect a bit of this um, and be able to offer more coaching um, because I think, you know, it's one thing to get the job, but, you know, it's really hard to navigate, especially being in a big company. You know, when you're with one of 20, it's pretty easy to figure out culture. But, you know, especially when you're at a place like Google and suddenly there's a 100,000 people and, you know, you do have to matriculate with so many different cultures. It's different and there are lots of things happen that you're not used to. Um, And just having someone to turn to to ask how to navigate that, I think, is really important. I think that's so true because everyone concentrates on, like, getting the job, like, you know, getting your foot in the door. But once you've got your foot in the door, what do you do? How do you (laughs) grow and how do you learn and how do you keep on going? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, just ask, you know, how do I network? How do I find a mentor? How do I find a sponsor? So. I think it's really important to know that, like, especially as you climb the ladder a bit, you know, once you get there, there's still work to do. (laughs) Um, You know, you want to make sure that you are, you know, ensuring that you have success at that organization by, you know, surrounding yourselves by the right people in the organization and out who are going to be able to support you in that. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for telling us that. Um, And obviously, the pandemic has thrown all sorts of curveballs our way, including not being able to go into stores and shop and presumably the the world of Google shopping probably absolutely transformed during that time as something that people could, you know, have super easy access to could really navigate that. How did you see the kind of shopping trends from where you've, you know, obviously, you've worked in e commerce before, and you've now into this new kind of hybrid world? How did you see sort of shopping trends change over that time? And kind of as we coming out more endemic, I mean, hopefully we're coming out this sort of endemic end of the pandemic, um, then, you know, what do you think is the future of those kind of shopping trends? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've all seen the same statistics that people are shopping online more than ever, um, you know, with the pandemic as you were kind of forced into that, <laughs> you were forced into it, you couldn't, you couldn't go out. Um, I do think some of that's here to stay, like, right, like, I think we we have entered a new era um, of, of people really shopping more and more online. But I think we've also noticed that, you know, people still want that visual inspirational experience. So, you know, stores um, are really important, too, you know, so I think, um, you know, I think we need to think hard about how we still bring that to customers. Um, especially through technology. So AR and AI are really important, especially in the beauty space. I mean, AR beauty is a huge thing with try-ons and all those kinds of things to kind of get that same experience that you get into the store. Um, I think we're also working really hard to bring that traditional window shopping experience to life. So how can we make um, you know online shopping for beauty and fashion more enjoyable 
and delightful and visual. So I think really working on that upper funnel um, has become more important to um, online providers than ever. Um, you know, and I think we also see a lot of people shopping, you know, terms or Googling terms like nearby and, you know, um, curbside pickup and, you know, a lot of things that didn't exist really before before the pandemic. So I think, you know, stores um, and online retailers, you know, really starting to augment their offering towards where the customer is and like meeting them where they are. So it's no longer like, you know, here's our store hope you come. It's like, no, like giving them lots of choices um, on how they can shop because I think people are really looking for that now. Yeah, it's fascinating kind of move on, isn't it? And to your point, like I'm, I'm intrigued how things are going to stick and stay and bringing that human touch of that very store experience to a digital world, I think is, is really what, you know, brands need to get their arms around. And obviously you've, your career, you've worked at American Vogue, you've worked at New York Times, you've worked at Alexander Wang, you worked at ShopBop, and now you're at Google. Some of the biggest and most um, zeitgeist brands of those moments and, and still zeitgeist brands. What is it about those businesses that you've, what are the sort of pivotal moments from those places that you've worked, that you've taken with you into your future career? And what would you look back on and say, wow, that was like an amazing moment. And I'm probably, sh- I, I reckon I know a few of them, but um, I would love to hear from you. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been really lucky to work um, at all of those places. I think during key inflection points or, you know, when something new is happening, like, you know, when I worked at the New York Times, a lot of my remit was to actually do the diligence behind Thursday Styles and T Magazine, which launched in Stefano Tonki. So like literally doing all the diligence and marketing plan and, you know, everything on how to launch that, you know, before, you know, now T is a huge entity, um, you know, was really interesting. So I think, you know, they're just learning like the building blocks of like why we should do this, how we should do it. Um, is this something that the market needs? Um, and looking at all those comparison reports was really interesting. But I think it also, you know, really gave me the the tip, you know, go forward that like, you know, only launch things in the market that people need. Um, you know, people want a lot of things, but I think, you know, it's important to understand, you know, the, the market, the, like what people want and like make sure you're tailoring it to something they need. Because, you know, 20 30 things are going to launch after that and you're going to need your point of view in order to stay viable. So I think that's what I took away from the times. Um, when I got to Vogue, you know, the CFD Vogue Fashion Fund was brand new. Um, I think we had gone through one class at the time um, and it was really about monetizing um, the CFD Fashion Fund and also looking at the Met and other things on how, you know, how we can really make those um, more commercial without being commercial, because I think if you know anything about Vogue, it it is not a commercial property, Um, especially back in those days in in the early 2000s. Um, So there, I think, you know, I really learned like it's not, you know, I think everyone was so much about logo and, you know, it has to be about this and that. And I think there I really learned how to look at what does a business really need Um, And how can we meet their needs, you know, even though it's not going to be about just splashing their logo, like what's 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 an organic value that we can give them? Like, can we help them get new customers? Um, Can we enhance their VIP experience? 
you know, so really going beyond just, you know, we're going to put your logo here and here and here and here's your exposure, but giving them real benefit. Um, so I think, you know, I took that away and, you know, always, you know, the, the default thing I think for everyone, especially with sponsorship is just giving people tickets and logos. And I think for me, it's about really looking at what value can we really add um, to this person and their business and building it from there. Um, and I think Amazon is really my education for performance marketing, literally. <laughs> um, I think I learned everything about performance marketing there and became an expert, which is, I think, what led me to success at Farfetch. Um, you know, and that being more of a case of, you know, when I went to Farfetch, people were like, is this a discount set? Like, no one knew what it was. You know, my friends were like, are you okay? Why are you moving to go to this <laughs> company? And I'm like, no, I really believe in this is going to be big. Um, so there was really like creating the, the brand identity from scratch, you know, it's like, you know, this is the benefit. This is why you should be here. Um, you know, creating the tone of voice, um, but then also building the, the real engine. Like, you know, this is, this is how we're going to build traffic. Um, you know, this is how we're going to kind of like see ourselves in the world. This is how we're going to show up, um, you know, in different countries. So for me, um, that was probably where I learned the most also, because when I got there, it was myself, Jose and um, Andrew, who was our COO at the time, and Suzanne Tide Frazier, who was helping us um, get brands, who was the former fashion director at Harrods. Um, so, you know, it was a small, tight team, but I mean, we probably each had like 10 jobs. So I think, you know, really learning how to build um, a platform, you know, again, you know, understanding the technology, um, you know, really building a brand from scratch. And you're still on the on the board there. I am on the board of Farfetch. Which is lovely that you've kind of moved on to new roles, but you're still sort of part of the family. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's really fun to see, you know, because back then I feel like we were so like, what are we doing? Um, but we did know what we were doing, but it was kind of like there was a lot going on to see the company grow into what it has and what it is today has been really exciting. Now it's IPO, it's huge. And for those who don't know, for our listeners, what's what does being on a board entail? What is it? Yeah, no, it's not. It's 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 work. You're you're advising the executive team, and you know, listening to what they're doing, and you know, giving them um, giving them guidance. So you know, you really have to. You know, they send out a board pack that has like all the financials. You know, you know, different different channel reports um, and you need to be well versed in all of that. I also chair the ESG committee for Farfetch. So, um, you know, on DEI and sustainability. So we have separate meetings on that. Um, so it's really understanding still the market, um, understanding um, what the issues in the company might be, being able to guide management um, on, on things that you see that maybe can be approved and, you know, be a cheerleader to all the things they're doing well. But um, you know, there's quarterly meetings that you have to attend, sometimes um, other meetings that need to be attended, and then um, committee chair meetings. So um, it, it's, it's a little bit of work. It's not, you know, but, but it's fun. And I think it immerses you in an industry um, and in the business so that, you know, it gives you um, 
a good chance to, to learn as well. I think what's been really nice for Kate and I to speak to you about your career is that so many people nowadays think they have to start their own business and be an entrepreneur and, you know, do their own thing or do their own brand. But you've had such amazing experiences and opportunities and ways to learn by working at amazing companies and bringing each thing that you've learned from one to the other one. When you were it, sort of growing up in Chicago, did you ever think you would be at one of the probably the biggest company in the world, um, really not just bringing in all of your expertise from previous roles, but actually doing things that really sort of um, support women, support women of colour, support women in digital and tech. Did you ever think that you would have such an incredibly big voice in this as well? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I think definitely like, you know, I majored in accounting. So I think if I was to go back um, you know, 30 years, I would think I would be like working at some accounting firm, um, but obviously took a left turn. Um, I think, you know, for me, I don't, you know, like when people ask me what's next, I'm like, I don't know. I definitely have um, thoughts, but I've never really been a five-year plan or like a, you know, I kind of really go by the opportunity. So, you know, if people call me and, you know, I feel like maybe I'm ready to make a change, I listen. Um, and I listen until something is interesting enough. Um, you know, for me, I would never do something just to do it. I think it, it's something that I would need to feel passionate about and be able to add value to. Um, and I think something, a place that also um, lets me, you know, gives me a little space to also do things that are passionate, you know, for me. I think in all of my jobs, including this one, you know, I've, it, I've always been an advocate of women of color, of, you know, black business. And I think here, you know, there's a nice initiative around black businesses and we've been able to do some cool partnerships. Um, that's been a passion of mine, um, you know, at Farfetch, you know, really wide rope with sustainability, which is also a passion of mine. So I was, you know, able to open some lanes there. So I think, um, you know, when I look at what's next, I think it would definitely need to be something that, you know, fulfill those things of, you know, a, you know, something that's, that's new, exciting that, you know, I feel like I'm going to learn something, um, but also a place that would allow me to kind of, you know, insert a little bit of Stephanie um, and make sure that, you know, we're um, upholding standards of, you know, those things of equality and making sure there's, there's enough women here and are there people of color here? And like, what are we doing to make sure that that that's maintained? Because those are things that are really important to me. Yeah. And I think, you you know, you've you've got a um, an incredible opportunity to really build on that and to really educate as well. And I think that's something that's super exciting to see. And from sitting in, a, I think, the Wolseley in London with you all those, I don't know how many years ago, um, to now sitting here with both of us on a screen and talking about all the um, global things that are happening and going on. It's it's pretty phenomenal. And of course, Google Shopping is part of the 15% pledge. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, no, it's a really exciting partnership that we um, did uh, at the end of or middle of last year. Um, you know, Aurora James, who started it, um, I knew from being um, on the CFDA. I'm a mentor for the CFDA um, and, and their uh, fashion finalists. So I've known Aurora through that. And, you know, when she started the pledge, you know, I was really, really proud of her. Um, because she literally, you know, kind of took a stand and was like, this needs to happen. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, and, you know, Google last year, we saw searches for black owned businesses increase about 600%. 
a lot of this um, reaction from George Floyd, but I think a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, this is, you know, these businesses are viable, they have great products, and I think it just really raised the interest. So um, one of the things we introduced at the beginning of 20 was a filter that you can search by black owned on, on Google. And um, I thought it would be great to, you know, kind of partner with the pledge and see what we could do with Aurora and some of the businesses in her database. So, you know, to get more on the shelves. So we have a partnership. It's a two year partnership. Um, where we're providing training, digital training for all of the um, businesses in her database. Right now she has about, uh, well, 1,500 now. We actually saw that grow um, significantly since we announced our partnership, which we're really proud of. Um, And we provide digital training for all of those people. And I think it's really important because a lot of these businesses are very small businesses and they don't have the tools and the tips they need to really be successful to be discoverable online. And as we know, if you're not discoverable, it's just not, you know, it just doesn't work. So I think being able to offer that training and offer the support um, and do some of the things that we're doing is really important. So we're really proud of this partnership. And that's like a big part of Google too, is making Google shopping is to make brands and products discoverable, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, so we kind of, you know, cover that, but a lot of variety of topics that'll help them strengthen their online presence, um, which is, again, which is important because some of them don't even know basic search engine optimization that, you know, we we can teach them. And obviously you've worked in fashion as well, fashion shopping for a very, very long time, as both Sarah and I have, and and beauty as well. And you are um, a Mecca fan, which is exciting. Which fashion brands, A, are you loving right now? But also, which beauty brands are you loving right now? And when can we get you to come and see us in Australia so we can give you a tour of our new flagship store in Sydney? No, I definitely want to come back to Australia. I love it there. Um, let's see, fashion brands. Um, well, I'm wearing, I love Christopher John Rogers. I'm wearing um, a sweater from him today. Um, so he's like definitely a new one on my radar. Um, I think one of our old friends from London, Rasiel, I still love Rasiel and her, um, you know, tuxedo dressing. And I think she's really um, started to venture out. Um, and so I love what she's doing there. And then I am a diehard Sakai fan. Um, so you will probably find me with half the collection at, at any time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Beauty, um, Shantakai actually has some really cool products so I love I love Shantakai. Shantakai have really beautiful products yeah and in terms of beauty what is one of your earliest beauty memories? This is gonna be funny so I don't even know if anyone knows this brand but there was this brand called Merle Norman that existed in the in the early 70s and my mom used to have this ritual that it had like if she first put on the Merle Norman it was like cold cream and that would last for like 10 minutes then we'd get rid of that and we put on this mask. She put on this mask that was red that would turn hard and you know, she would just lay back. But that was, remember, like you would just have to lay back and <laughs> make sure it didn't crack. And then that would come off. And then there was like a booster product that she would put on for like 10 more minutes. And then, you know, that would come off. And I just remember being like, you know, five or six and watching this this whole thing happen and being like, oh my God, I've always been a diehard beauty product fan. Um, you know, just watching my mom do those fa- facial rituals, like literally once a week. I love that. And, and do you 
give it as much time <laughs> the beauty ritual is it like a sort of every Sunday there you go you can put your no your clay every mask Wednesday on. and like today's it every Wednesday and every Sunday I go in a full I'm like the perfect person I'm such a beauty freak you do you do have amazing skin I remember Susie Bubble would always talk about Susie Lau would always talk about how beautiful you are no, so I, I, I got that from my mother. So yeah, I've, I've increased it to twice a week. And I literally have a three step process too. <laughs> and what what is the, the, the thing that would stop that ritual from happening? Would it have to be something pretty major in the calendar? Yeah, I mean, like, literally, if someone needs to invite me to the White House or something, because other, any other thing, I would be like, I'm sorry, your schedule's packed. So what does beauty mean to you now in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, the definition of beauty's changed so much, you know, over over the years. I think, you know, now it's a lot more about individuality. I think we used to have such a like, you know, cookie cutter um, definition of what a beautiful person looked like, and now I think that could be anybody, which I think is amazing. Um, you know, I think skincare has really taken over beauty in a in a big way, where I think it used to be just about cosmetics. Um, and I think wellness, right? Because what you put in your body, I think, really affects the outcome. Um, so I think, you know, wellness is just as important as any beauty products that you buy, because I think, you know, it's, you know, what you put in your body is going to affect, you know, how your skin looks and how you feel um, and everything else. So I definitely think individuality, increase in skincare and um, really wellness. In terms of like your busy world, your busy career, your um, boards, your all the mentoring you're doing. I mean, that is a that's a packed calendar, and that doesn't include the the twice weekly beauty rituals. Um, but what other ways do you kind of unwind and tap into that more wellness side of things? Is it are you? I mean, you're in the Hamptons right now. Are you a kind of yoga person? Do you walk? Like, is it meditation, or are you just work is the one thing that actually because I'm I'm but I quite enjoy the fact that work sometimes actually keeps me calm yeah I I call myself like an active um you know I'm not really that meditation you know yoga is going to calm me down it actually kind of stresses me out sometimes because I'm like yeah, why is everyone just sitting here so you know I'm kind of more of like when I'm stressed out or needed I'm like in a Tracy Anderson class or you know I'm doing something that's gonna give me some you know running yeah. um you know that's gonna kind of exert some energy um you know, I'm trying to be more of a, you know, I'm tr- I actually ha- I'm in a meditation class right now. Let's see how that goes. Right now, it's not going well. So at the moment, what are you listening to or reading or watching at the moment that you love? Okay, so all of my stuff is going to be really <laughs> tacky and not intellectual at all. But um, I am, well, the songs are good. I mean, one of my really good friends is Maxwell, and he has a song, um, a new song out called Off that I actually really love. I would encourage everyone to listen to that. And there's another new artist called Muni Long, um, who has a song called Hours and Hours, which I love. Um, and then, you know, you could always catch me listening to any kind of 90s girl group. So SWB, TLC, like it's probably playing here. There's a new show on HBO Max here called The Gilded Age. Oh, I've seen the trailer and I really want to watch it. It looks, it looks really interesting. Slightly tacky, but interesting. Yeah, so I'm totally into the Gilded Age. And I'm also reading this book called Malibu Rising. um, That's really good. And now, like, the world is starting to open up a bit more, Stephanie. 
where is it that you want to travel to most and where is your kind of next vacation going to be to? Yeah, no, I mean, I would love to come back to Australia. I really would. Um, I, I do love it there. Um, I think, you know, probably somewhere warm. Um, so maybe like this summer I go to Greece. Um, and, you know, I heard, okay, I'm, I love hotels. Um, so I heard there's a new, um, there's a new Mandarin that opened up in Lake Cuomo that I want to, everyone says it's amazing. So I wouldn't mind going there either. Um, but definitely somewhere not in the United States, <laughs> I think, because like for the past two years, I've kind of just been in the United States um, outside of one trip. So I think I would just love to see the world again. I miss, that's one part I really miss. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see you soon. Yes, no, I really hope so. I miss you guys. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, It's been a joy to have you on today and lovely to see you as always. Thank you. It's been so fascinating. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your favourite podcast app and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review and share this episode with your friends. To stay up to date on what's going on in the Mechaverse, find us on Instagram at at Mechabeauty or join the conversation in our Mecha Chit Chat Facebook group. You've been listening to Mecha Talks. Thank you for joining us. And I'm on the roll.